is a resounding chorus that reminds us of Psalm 46, the scripture it's based off of, which says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not, be, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, and though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Selah. And that song is such a remi- uh, an encouraging reminder, no matter what difficulties we face in this life, God is always a very near, easily found refuge and a place of safety that we can always turn and run to. You know, Martin Luther wrote that hymn in 1527 at the outset of a bubonic plague that was spreading throughout Germany, and yet he called the people in the church to run to the Lord as a, a refuge. And so it's just a sweet, a sweet and timely reminder. We are glad that you're all here with us this morning, each one, each and every one of you, to sing these truths together and to worship God. If you would, with me, take out your worship folder. 
Inside this, you'll find all sorts of information about things that are going on in the church. And inside, you'll find this little checking card. And if you would just do us a favor and fill that out real quickly, you can also do it on our church app, which is also very efficient and easy if you'd like to do that. It's just a helpful way to let us know that you're here. You can also uh, write down any prayer requests or praises that you have. We, if, you feel like to, if you feel like you would want to do that, we'd love to come alongside and pray with you and praise the Lord with you for the things he's doing in your life. At the end of the service, you can drop this uh, checking card at either white table at, uh, at the entrances. And if you're visiting with us, whether it's your first time or you've been coming for a couple times now, we just want to extend a special welcome to you. We're really glad that you have chosen to come and be with us this morning. Uh, you might have already passed it already this morning, but if you just go out these double doors, we have a welcome desk. And if you have any in, uh, questions about the church, we'd love to give you some information. We have like a visitor booklet. We'd also just like to love on you and give you a gift. Um, certainly all the people around you would love to meet you and answer questions you have as well. But we do have that resource available to you out there. We do have a special event coming up this week that I want to make note of on Friday, November 4th. The ladies are having their um, refresh event here in the Family Center, uh, I believe 7 p.m. to 8.30 p.m. And this is uh, open to all you ladies. Uh, We would encourage you to register. It's free of cost. But we'd encourage you just to register uh, online or out at the table out there in in the foyer. Um, where, so that they know how much to prepare for. But this is going to be a special evening that you don't want to miss. There's going to be some snacks and things that, uh, to eat while you fellowship with other ladies. And then the evening is going to be centered on kind of the theme of worshiping God together as a family, and particularly through the vehicle of music. There will be a time of teaching, but the most of the evening is going to be filled with a time of congregational singing together and then also some special music. And as I've been kind of thinking about the event, um, I've been thinking about kind of First Chronicles and how King David set up musical worship in the temple. And uh, when they built the temple and when they established all the music, one word that comes to mind is just extravagance. And why, why would that word come up? Well, because they coated the inside of the temple with gold. Like, why would you do that? Because God is worthy of the best that we have. Why would you put together a choir of 4,000 Levitical musicians? Because God is worthy of our extravagance. Anything and everything we can give back to God. So we want the evening of Refresh to really reflect that extravagance because God is worthy of that as we sing and play for His glory. So highly encourage you all to come to that, to Refresh. Um, It'll be a very refreshing time spiritually. See what I did there? All right. Well... You know, Pastor Kevin's a lot better at the dad jokes than I am. I've got a lot to learn, so. But as we continue to worship, would you please bow your heads with me in a word of prayer? Uh, Father, we are very thankful that you are a refuge for us, no matter what trouble we are encountering. We're thankful that we can go to you, that we can approach your throne with boldness and confidence, not because of anything we have done, but because of what Christ has done. I pray that you would continue to work in our church to help us always run to you as a refuge, that we would would do that through prayer, we would always cast our anxieties and cares upon you, that it would be evident in our life that you are our refuge because we have peace and joy, that we are never anxious, that we are never stirred, though the mountains fall into the sea, though the worst of things could happen in our life, we are calm and tranquil because we are resting and abiding on the solid foundation of Christ. 
Lord, we, we are so joyful because we know nothing can separate us from your love. Man, at worst, can kill our physical bodies, but we know to be separated from the bodies, to be immediately in glory with you. Therefore, we have nothing to fear. What can man do to us, really? And so, Father, I pray that this morning we would retell your wondrous deeds in our lives and throughout history as we sing these songs to you and to each other. And I pray that you continue to help us glorify you as we sit under the teaching of your word this morning and as we stir one another up, one another up to love and good deeds. That's us in your son's name. Amen. Well, this next song we're going to sing is the Reformation song. And tomorrow would commemorate Reformation. So back in 1517 when Martin Luther nailed his 95 theses to the castle door of Wittenberg. And this time period was incredible in what God was doing through men and women to preserve the gospel in the midst of great darkness. And so this song we're going to sing is going to remind us of something that was kind of systematized during the Reformation, a a clear reminder of what the gospel is all about. And the gospel is all about that, first and foremost, our authority comes from Scripture alone, that we are saved through Christ alone, by faith alone, by grace alone, and it is all for God's glory alone. So would you please stand with us as we sing these truths together.
have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Our boast is in the cross of Christ alone. By grace alone we have been saved. All that we are has come from you. Hearts that were once by sin enslaved, now by your power have been made new. Now by your power have been made new. Well 
was and is to come and to the lamb who was slain be glory now to the king on the throne who was and is to come and to the lamb who was slain be glory now to the king on the throne who was and is to come and to the time, youngsters ages three to kindergarten are welcome to be dismissed to Children's Church, or if you want to keep them here, they're not a distraction to us, they're welcome to stay, but if you prefer a more age-catered message, head on out the back, and if you don't know where to go, someone will help you get to where you need to go. Before we pray, I want to take just a minute to talk about something we don't address too much uh, from up here, but as you're probably aware, um, there's an election coming up, midterm elections are coming up. Now, for those of us that have been redeemed by Jesus Christ and acknowledge his lordship over all creation, we, of course, don't put our hope in a particular election cycle, in a particular political party, a particular ruler, anything like that. We know the dangers of being so focused on things political that we get short-sighted in terms of God's kingdom. If we do that, we can become, if you've heard the phrase, so earthly-minded that you're no heavenly good. But Christians tend to overcorrect, and we sometimes completely withdraw from the civil sphere and isolate ourselves in our own little spiritual prayer closet, and we become so heavenly-minded that we're no earthly good. But Christ is king over the earth, and our neighbors are on the earth. So I would, I would urge you, in the coming week, if you're of a voting age, be prayerful, consider how you might use your voting voice to seek to bless your neighbor, to see how you might benefit them by voting for a civil magistrate that would rule over them uh, in a godly way. Vote according to your conscience and leave the results up to the Lord. That would be what I would hope for you. Well, with that, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Almighty God, you are life, you are wisdom, you are truth, you are bounty and blessedness, you are the eternal and only true God, and you are our Lord. Father, you alone are our hope and our heart's joy, and if that's not true, make it true for us. Lord, make us to know you rightly, that we might love, enjoy, and possess you more and more, and that through that, we might reflect that same love towards our neighbors and seek their good even above our own. Father, we acknowledge the ever-present danger of putting our hope in the things of this world, in things like politics and particular authorities, but we also know that you do work through day-to-day -day ordinary means, and you've placed institutions above us to providentially govern your world according to your will. So we pray, Father, please give us wisdom to know the right balance of what it looks like to 
have godly engagement with the world for your glory and for the good of our neighbors, but also to understand godly disengagement to ensure that we don't become of the world. Father, only by your grace will we come anywhere close to striking this right balance. So please, Father, let the Spirit dwell within us richly and move us towards Christ-likeness in all that we would do. Now, Father, this morning we want to bring before your throne of grace Fellowship Bible Church in Peoria, a faithful gospel partner of ours, a church that prays for us, and we're glad to pray for them. As they continue their study through the 119th Psalm, the longest psalm in the book, I pray for Pastor Jason in his study of your word and that the truths found in such a poetic psalm would bless the people there, that it would encourage them to live a lifestyle that demonstrates supernatural obedience to you as the Lord of their lives, and that they would take the love that they have for Christ out to their community. We also pray this morning, Father, as we have been all week, for our Sent Go partner of Focus, Shane Knapp, serving at Salem Ranch in Flanagan, Illinois. We are happy to rejoice along with Shane for the, the success of the recent annual ministry update banquet and for the encouraging testimonies given by a recent graduate as well as the father of a current student there. Lord, you are working through this program in amazing ways and changing the lives of these young men and in turn changing communities through them. Lord, we're, we're grateful for Shane's faithfulness at the ranch and we're grateful for the opportunities that you've granted to him as well as to the entire staff there to share the good news of Jesus Christ and, and the freedom, the freedom from the bondage of sin that only he can provide. Now, Father, during this last worship song, I ask that you would prepare our hearts Prepare us for Pastor Kevin's teaching on a countercultural scriptural paradigm that flies in the face of the spirit of our age. Please encourage him, strengthen his spirit to speak prophetically from your word without hesitation and without fear. And please, Father, quiet and humble our hearts to receive your truth without prejudice. Teach us, challenge us, encourage us, and comfort us this morning, Father. We ask in the name of Jesus Christ, our ultimate hope and our Lord. Amen. If you would, you please stand with us as we sing the important truth that it's in Christ alone that we are saved. It's not by our works. It's not even by the strength of our faith. It is purely the object of our faith that saves us, and it is Christ alone.
the world by darkness slain, then bursting forth in glorious day, up from the grave he rose again, and as he stands in victory, since curse has lost its grip on me, for I am his, and he is to that. Amen to that. In the power of Christ, we stand and we walk as Christians together. Well, let's continue our worship of Jesus now by opening your copy of God's Word to Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 to 24, where we are going to learn about spirit-filled marriages, God's design for spirit-controlled Marriage. If you don't have a Bible, just raise your hand, nice and tall. We have copies of God's Word. We'd love to give you to use just in this service. Or if you don't have a Bible, please take this Bible as our gift to you and take it home and read it. It's good for your soul. Today, we're continuing our study in Ephesians. Uh, We're in chapter 5, which is a chapter that's all about walking in love and walking in wisdom. Remember why Paul wrote this letter to the church in Ephesus. Ephesus was over there in Asia Minor, and Paul was writing from prison in Rome when he penned this for the first time. And remember, the main point that he's trying to communicate to Christians in these six chapters is that God has united us together by his grace so that we would become one in love together all for the greater praise of his glory. Last week in verses 15 to 21, we were were taught that wisdom, a life of wisdom, is very careful to live under the control of God's spirit. To be filled with the spirit in verse 18 means to be controlled by the spirit. Just like if a hand fills a glove... That glove is now controlled by the hand that fills it, right? 
So likewise, every Christian is commanded to live every moment of every day in submission to the Holy Spirit that is filling or controlling our lives. So now today, starting in verse 22, Paul is going to describe what a spirit-controlled relationships look like. He's going to start with the marriage relationship, then get into the parent-child relationship, and eventually get into employer-employee relationships. In other words, all of our relationships on this planet should be radically transformed by God's grace when we are submitted to the Holy Spirit's control in our life. So today, we're looking just at verses 22 to 24, all about spirit-controlled wives. Now, husbands, in two weeks, your time is coming. (laughs) So we're going to consider God's instructions for spirit-controlled husbands in two weeks. But today, all of us in this room need much humility as we meditate carefully on these verses that are full of self-crucifying instruction for all of us. So let's read the passage now. If you're able, I'd invite you to stand in honor of the reading of God's word. I'm reading Ephesians 5, 22 to 24 from the ESV translation. Ephesians 5, 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as... Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. This is the reading of God's word. You can be seated. Let's pray for God's help as we meditate on this together. Holy Father, we come in the wonderful name of Jesus, uh, so so encouraged already by these Reformation hymns that we've sung together, these gospel truths that there is no God like you. You are the God who set us free from the curse of sin. You are a God of salvation. You are a God of glory. You are a God of tremendous grace. And so, Father, just, I know even as I was singing here just a few minutes ago, I kept I kept picturing you hanging on the cross and shedding your blood for my sins and making it possible, Father, that I could know you and be satisfied in you. And so, Father, I just pray that as we continue our worship now that you'd give us such awe and such humility that we would see the glory of Christ, we'd see the beauty of your design for marriage. And Father, I pray something bold. I I pray that you would set marriages free today, that through the preaching of your word, that you would set marriages free from sin, that you'd set husbands free from fearful control and wives free from undermining and competing against their husbands. Father, please help us. This is not a popular text. This is not a not an easy thing for a guy to teach to a mixed group. So, Father, I'm thankful you're the teacher of this church and your word is the message. So please teach us and change us and set us free for the sake of your joy. 
we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the main point of Ephesians 5, 22 to 24, is pretty easy to understand. You read this text, and the main point is very clear. Spirit-controlled wives submit to their husbands as unto the Lord. That's what the Scripture teaches. It's very clear, but that is certainly not a popular message today. And that is not something that's easy for many of us to take in and appreciate. So I'm going to ask you, please don't plug your ears yet. Keep your ears open. I sadly realize that so many of our Christian sisters have suffered spiritual abuse from churches and from husbands who have taken these very verses and used them for evil. So if your soul recoils a bit when you hear the word submission or you read submit, please study yourself in the good character of our glorious God and listen carefully so that you can hear the joyful freedom of God's wisdom in this text that is radically opposed to all man-centered, selfish, patriarchy, and its ugly oppression. Now, others of you are, stopped, are tempted to stop listening right now because you're like, dude, I'm not a wife. I, I, I'm a guy. Like, I got a free pass today. This is awesome. This is one of my favorite messages, right? Like, no. Even if you're not yet a wife yourself, we all need this biblical refresher for understanding God's good design of marriage. After all, our culture hates God's design for marriage. And the more biblical manhood and biblical womanhood is attacked in our culture, the more every Christian needs to be able to understand and defend God's joyful design for marriage. We must never, ever, church, we must never, ever rely on human tradition for our understanding of marriage, for why we believe what we believe. We must listen carefully to God's word so that we will not be conformed to this world, but that our minds would be transformed through the renewing of God's word. So God determines every person's lifelong gender before birth. And then God creates joyfully distinct roles and responsibilities for husbands and wives in marriage. And today's scripture is going to help us Christians to stand firm against the deceptive and pervasive lies of our culture. Now, perhaps you're a single person here today and you're saying, well, I don't know if this really relates much to me. No, no, be careful, be careful, because a biblical view of marriage is actually required before you can ever have a biblical view of singleness. That's true. You cannot have a biblical understanding of singleness until you first have a biblical understanding of marriage, because marriage was the very first relationship that God ever created so therefore, marriage is the foundational human relationship of all of human society. 
Marriage is foundational to how we interpret our identity even as Christ followers. After all, every believer is an active participant in the eternal reality of a heavenly marriage. Every Christian is an active part of the bride of Christ. So therefore, every Christian must have a biblical understanding of marriage in order to rightly understand even our relationship with God himself. Your understanding of marital roles and responsibilities are essential and foundational for your perspective of life as a submitted follower of Jesus. Finally, if you're a husband today, or maybe you desire to be a husband someday, it's imperative that you listen up to this text, please, that you understand God's good design for your wife's role because, listen, sin always tempts husbands to misunderstand submission. Sin tempts husbands to sinfully twist these scriptures and use them for selfish and manipulative purposes. So yes, every single one of us needs to sit up straight. We need to open our hearts with humility and we need to be, pay very careful attention to verses 22 to 24 today where, so we can understand how the Holy Spirit affects a wife's relationship first with God and then with her husband. And that's essential for all of us to understand today. Our time's gonna go very fast today, so we're gonna just walk through these verses by using four simple questions. Our first question lays the groundwork for our understanding of Ephesians 5, 22 to 24, which is simply this. What is God's design for spirit-controlled marriage? I say spirit-controlled marriage because we're particularly talking about God's design for Christian marriage today. God's design for those Christians who are filled or controlled by God's spirit. We get that from verse 18 in the immediate context. Remember, if you're filled with God's spirit, you're controlled by God's spirit, then you will have proper relationships of love with others out of reverence for Christ. That's what verse 21 taught us. So to answer the question, what is God's design for spirit-controlled marriage? We just simply have to read a few verses down until we get to verse 31 and 32, which teach us that marriage pictures the relationship between Jesus and his church. God's ultimate purpose, not his only purpose, but God's ultimate purpose for marriage is that marriage on earth between a man and a woman would visibly reflect the invisible, perfect marriage between Jesus and his church. Look at verse 31. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery of how two become one in marriage, this mystery is profound. And I'm saying that it refers to Christ 
and the church. So write this down. Marriage pictures the relationship between Jesus and his church. Marriage is not ultimately about human friendship. Marriage is not ultimately about having babies. Human marriage is about giving the world a temporary, visible picture of the permanent, invisible marriage between Jesus and his redeemed. Therefore, God gives husbands and wives each specific marital roles and responsibilities so that they can best reflect the relationship between Jesus and the church. Now, before we fill in this chart and get all excited about the roles and responsibilities of biblical marriage, let's make sure you first understand the difference between a role and a responsibility. The role of, uh, our role in marriage is kind of like our job title. So you could say, well, Kevin, what's your job title? Well, at church, my job title is senior pastor. That's my job title. But that's not my responsibilities. The, 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 the responsibilities are like your job description. It's what you do in that role. So my title, my, my role is senior pastor, but my my job description is to preach and to pray and to serve and to cast vision and to lead, right? I mean, those are the responsibilities of the role. And it's really important that you always are more focused on your responsibilities than your role. After all, if I came to you and it's just like, hey, have I told you yet that I'm the senior pastor? <laughs> have, you, have, you, have you forgotten that I'm the senior pastor? Oh, by the way, now that we're talking, can I tell you that I'm the senior? Like that would get really old really fast, right? It makes me even kind of squirm just to even talk like that. So it's really important for Christians, yes, we are in a role, but our focus of how we fulfill that role comes from our focus on our responsibilities, right? Not the role itself. So according to verse 23 in Ephesians 5, what is the husband's role? What is the husband's job title? Well, let's write down the word head. Because verse 23 says the husband is the head of the wife. This means God's, God has appointed the husband to be the appointed leader or the captain of the team. So then what is the husband's defining responsibility as the head? Well, you might say well, since he's the head, his responsibility is to lead. But that's not actually what the scripture teaches. Look at verse 25 and shout out the answer. What is the chief responsibility of the husband according to verse 25? Love, that's right. The chief responsibility of the marital head is to love, to sacrificially lay down his life for the eternal good of his wife. So men, listen up men, don't miss this. God never commands husbands to lead their wives. God commands husbands to love their Wives. Oh, yes, husbands are the God-appointed leader. But it's how we love, not how we lead, that determines what kind of head we are. So husbands, please never, never focus more on leading your wife than you are focused on loving your wife. 
Because if you focus on leading your wife more than loving your wife, you put the emphasis on the wrong syllable and you will fall short of the glory of God and his joyful wisdom for marriage. In order for Christian marriage to be able to picture the gospel relationship between Jesus and his church, the husband is the God-appointed leader or head who is responsible to love his wife. And the wife, then, is the God-appointed helper. Do you remember how God said this back at the very first marriage in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18? When he was creating the first wife for Adam, he says, God created, uh, he says God created Adam's wife to be a helper fit for him. A helper fit for him. And according to verse 22 of our text in Ephesians, the chief responsibility of the helper role is to submit. The wife is the God-appointed helper who is responsible to submit just as the church submits to Christ. That's God's joyful wisdom for marriage. Also that our earthly marriages can picture Christ's covenant faithful, loving, forgiving, gracious relationship with sinners like me and like you. But before we leave this chart on roles and responsibilities in God's design, let's, let's make sure and note how sin impacts this, how sin actually works against God's design. After all, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 16, where God is spelling out the curses of sin on all of humanity, when God reveals sin's curse to Eve in Genesis 3:16, he tells that first wife of humanity, he says, your desire shall now be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. Translation, now that sin has entered the world, now that sin has entered marriage, sin now causes a wife to despise her husband's headship. Sin causes the wife to desire the husband's God-appointed role for herself. And sin causes the husband to now rule over his wife instead of sacrificially giving his life away in love to serve her. In other words, listen carefully. Sin ruins God's design wherever husbands try to control and wives try to compete in their marriage. Sin causes husbands to dominate with fear and rule over their wives. Sin causes wives to spurn their husband's leadership and set themselves up against their own husbands. Sin makes marriage miserable. A marriage that's filled with control and competition will always fall short of God's design. And church, that's why we can be so thankful for Jesus today, right? We sang about it in one of the songs. Because of Jesus, the curse of sin has lost its grip on me. Because of Jesus, our marriages can now be freed from trying to control one another and compete one another. And now because of Jesus and the work of the cross and the resurrection, now marriages can be restored to actually husbands can now love their wives sacrificially and wives can now joyfully submit to their husbands 
husbands in the way that honors God. So see, now whenever a husband and a wife submit to the Holy Spirit's control, God's joyful wisdom for marriage can be realized. So don't miss this. No husband can truly love his wife and no wife can truly submit to her husband unless they are controlled by God's spirit. God's marriage responsibilities for his children are supernatural for both husbands and wives. Only the fruit of God's spirit is powerful enough to renew and redeem the curse of sin in our marriages. So let's take this God-centered design for marriage, for spirit-controlled marriage, into our study now of Ephesians 5, 22 to 24. God ultimately designed marriage to picture the relationship between Jesus and the church. And the husband is the God-appointed head who is responsible to love. And the wife is the God-appointed helper who is responsible to submit. Which then begs the next question. Well, what is spirit-controlled submission for wives? When a woman is submitted herself to the Holy Spirit... How does that change her posture towards her husband in that marriage? Interestingly, verse 22 doesn't have a verb. The word submit is not actually in the text. That might surprise you. Verse 22 actually just says in the original language, wives to your own husbands as to the Lord. So the word submit comes from verse 21 right before it in the immediate context. And because submission has often been misunderstood and misapplied in Christian marriage, I need to first correct some misconceptions about submission before I teach you what this word means in its context. So first, please please listen. Biblical submission does not mean Lesser worth, forced agreement, or mindless obedience. So wives are not inferior to their husbands in any way, according to Scripture. Nor are wives commanded to obey their husbands like children are commanded to obey their parents in Ephesians 6 verse 1. That's a different word. So biblical submission does not mean agreeing with everything that your husband says. It does not mean leaving your brain or your will at the wedding altar. Submission is not avoiding every effort to change your husband. In fact, a secret, 1 Peter chapter 3, 1 to 6 teaches the opposite. The submission is actually one of the means that a woman has to bring about change in her husband, according to the glory of God. So biblical submission does not mean putting your husband's will before the will of Christ. After all, verse 21 is clear that proper submission is always done out of reverence for Christ. Submission does not mean that a wife gets her personal and her spiritual strength Primarily from her husband, that's not true. We get our strength from the Lord. 
And certainly biblical submission does not mean acting or living out of fear or terror or fright. That's, we've got to correct those misconceptions. None of this is what submission means. So the English word submit translates the Greek word hupotasso. Can you say that? Hupotasso. Say it one more time. Hupotasso. You've just learned a Greek word. See how smart you are? That's amazing. Hupo just is the prefix that just means under. Tasso is the word that, that means to line up under. So hupotasso literally means to line up under. To line up under. To assume your rank. To respond appropriately to those who have been put in a position of authority over you. Therefore, within marriage, hupotasso means investing all of me to make my husband successful to God. Submission is not being a doormat. It's not, it's not being mousy. Hupotasso is using all of my strengths and all of my energies and all of my intelligence and all of my talents to help make my authority more successful to his higher authority. This passage is clear. A wife who surrenders herself to the submission of the Holy Spirit will no longer compete with her husband or despise his God-appointed role as her head but instead she will now live by the power of the Spirit to make her husband more pleasing to God. She fulfills her God-appointed role as helper chiefly by hupotasoing, by willfully living to make her husband more pleasing to God. In other words, a wife's submission is voluntarily following her husband out of joyful respect for his role. Notice, biblical submission is never based on the person. It's based on the position. So spirit-controlled submission responds to the role or to the position that God has put someone in, regardless of whether that specific person actually deserves our helping energies. So hupotasso acknowledges the God-appointed authority or headship of the husband and joyfully and willfully lines up all of my energies and all of my life so that I can work to make my husband more pleasing to God. That's what spirit-filled submission means. So in light of that, then the next question is, well, what are the reasons what are the reasons for a wife's submission? What causes a spirit-filled wife to want to hupotasso, to line up all of her energies under her husband's leadership? Well, the first motivation for a wife's submission is the Lord's ultimate authority. We see this at the end of verse 21, and then especially at the end of verse 22, where it says, wives to your own husbands as to the Lord. You might underline, as to the Lord. Because when you acknowledge a husband's headship, you're ultimately honoring God who appointed him to be your head. A wife shows that she's submitting to God whenever she submits to the husband that God himself appointed as her head. 
Now, if you know me very well, you know that I think in pictures and I like diagrams and pictures. So I love how 1 Corinthians 11 verse 3 pictures this, this biblical chain of command in the family. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3 says, I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. So just for kicks and giggles, I like adding children and animals into the mix. So God has given all human beings authority or dominion over the entire animal kingdom, right? And then the parents are the head of the children. The husband is the head of the wife. Christ is the head of the husband. And God the Father is the head of Christ. This is the biblical structure of authority or the functional chain of command within God's design or structure of family. And this chart helps us then visualize how a wife's submission to her husband is actually expressing her submission to Christ. After all, God is the one who delegated his authority to Christ, who delegated his authority to the husband to make sure that that wife was loved. But also notice this from 1 Corinthians 11.3. Christ is functionally submissive to who? Christ is functionally submissive to who? God the Father, right? But clearly Christ and God are equal. <laughs> they're equal in essence. They're equal in worth. And likewise, the spirit-filled wife is functionally submissive to her husband but clearly they are equal in worth and in essence. So whenever you are living to make your higher authority more successful to the highest authority, that is not a negative or an offensive or distasteful reality. That's simply a functional necessity of order within God's appointed structure, which then introduces the second reason a spirit-controlled wife is motivated to submit to her husband. First, she submits to her husband because of Christ's lordship. Second, because of her husband's headship. God himself appointed her husband as her head. Verse 23 makes this reason clear. For the husband is the head of the wife. God chose the husband to be his appointed leader for that marriage. It does not mean that the husband is better in any way. It simply means God chose that man to be accountable, leader of this team. So husbands, God holds you accountable to love your wife and your family. Look at verse 23, husbands. Verse 23 describes how as the head of the church, Christ sacrificed himself in love to become the church's savior. So likewise, husbands are now accountable before God to sacrifice themselves in love for the eternal good of their wives. God appoints the husband to be his delegated leader or head of the marriage. And finally, a wife joyfully respects her husband's role 
and uses all that she is to help him become more pleasing to God because she's seeking to follow the church's example with Jesus. Read verse 24. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. So since the ultimate, excuse me, the ultimate purpose of marriage is to picture this relationship between Christ and the church, spirit-filled wives are eager to follow the church's example just like a church joyfully and willfully submits itself to, to Christ's authority, so likewise, spirit-controlled wives seek to follow their husbands. But this raises all kinds of questions. <laughs> After all, Jesus, who's the head of the church, is perfect and sinless. But there's no such thing as a perfect, sinless husband in any of our homes, right? Right? So how does that work? And that brings us to our fourth and very important question. What are the limits? What are the limits of spirit-controlled submission? Especially since verse 24 commands wives to submit to their husbands in everything. Are there any exceptions? Are there any limits on the kind of submission that the Holy Spirit produces in Christian wives? Well, first... I want you to find the three-letter word in verse 22, own. God intends for a spirit-filled wife to submit to her own husband, never to all men in general. Listen, church, God does not think more highly than men than he does of women. Galatians 3.28 is very, very clear on this point that in Christ there is neither male nor female. Males and females are of equal worth and of equal standing together in Christ. The command for a woman to submit or line herself up underneath another man is uniquely limited to the function of marriage and specifically to her own husband. Second, notice this command is given to the wives and not to the husbands. In other words, the kind of submission that the Holy Spirit produces is exercised freely before God and never forced by another person. Biblical submission is voluntary. It's, it's the joyful choice of the wife as part of her worship of Jesus. It is not the right of a husband to demand or coerce in any way. Any husband that demands his wife submit to him is playing a fool. That husband has forgotten that God never commanded him to lead, but God is holding him accountable for how he will sacrificially lay his life down in love for the eternal good of his wife. Third, the fact that the submission of a wife is as to the Lord in verse 22 is a reminder that biblical submission is always seeking to be fully obedient to Jesus and never sinful. Spirit-controlled submission follows your God-appointed leader in everything until he asks you to sin. 
And then according to Acts chapter 5, verse 29, we must obey God rather than man. So if a husband ever asks his wife to steal or to lie or to cheat or to commit sexual sin or to commit any other kind of sin against God, biblical submission necessarily requires a wife to disobey her husband out of reverence for Jesus. And in fact, her desire to be submissive will refuse to follow him into sin because submission means that she's lining up all of her energies to make him more pleasing to God. You see, the kind of submission that is a biblical fruit of the Spirit never leads anyone or follows anyone into sin. But of course, most often, husbands aren't actually asking their wives to sin. Husbands are just being sinful. (laughs) Husbands like me can so quickly become a sinful jerk. I'm not asking Jody to follow me in sin. I'm just living in sin. I'm sinfully angry or I'm sinfully frustrated, whatever it is. And in those cases, 1 Peter chapter 3 verses 1 to 6 is an important text for wives to understand and apply in how do I respond when my husband is sinning? Maybe my husband's an unbeliever. Maybe my husband professes faith in Christ, but right now he's not acting like a believer. How then do I respond? 1 Peter 3, 1 to 6. I preached an entire sermon on this a couple, of weeks, uh, a couple of years ago. You can find it on our website. We don't have time to go into all the details today, but here's the short, short summary. 1 Peter 3, 1 to 6 urges godly wives to still pursue the eternal success of your husband even when he's sinning. In other words, bring all your energies to bear so that you can help make him more pleasing to God so that perhaps through that submission, your sinful husband may be won back into pleasing the Lord through your humble and spirit-controlled submission. But wives, please listen carefully to me right now. I feel like I've said that phrase a lot today. Your eyes are so, you listen well all the time. I should probably stop saying that, but. Listen carefully right now. Because <laughs> this is serious. Wives, if you are married to a husband who is sinning against you with abuse or fearful control, I want to really encourage you seek counsel, seek godly counsel from your pastors, from your elders for your situation so that you can discern what does it actually look like to invest all of my energies into trying to help my husband become more godly because it is never spiritually helpful to allow your husband to abuse you or to sinfully control you without bringing into that relationship God's design of the state authorities and the church authorities to help hold your husband accountable, help bring you protection, and help bring care and confrontation into your marriage. So if you are living with a controlling or an abusive husband, please reach out for help as soon as possible. Biblical submission 
is always spirit-controlled, not husband-controlled. Biblical submission is always spirit-controlled, not husband-controlled. So spirit-controlled wives, oh, they are joyful because the spirit's in control. Spirit-controlled wives are joyfully respectful of their husband's God-appointed position, and therefore they submit to their husbands as to the Lord. So then I want to encourage all of us today to sincerely embrace and celebrate God's wisdom for spirit-controlled wives. If you're here today and you're not yet a Christ follower, I'm so glad you're here, but if you're here and you're not a Christian, please seriously consider the beauty of God's covenant faithful relationship with sinners. Jesus came and he purchased a bride for himself with his own blood. I know that's gross, but here's the wonder of it. The bride, you and me, sinners, we deserve to die. Jesus didn't deserve to die, so he substituted himself. He took our place, and he died the death that we deserve to have so that he could purchase for himself an eternal bride, and he could make us glorious and beautiful forever as his wife. That kind of sacrificial love is out of this world. Oh, sinner, by the power of God's Spirit, submit yourself to Jesus Surrender your own will and live to make his name great among all the nations. Believe that following Jesus is what you were created to do and lasting satisfaction will only come when you're submitted to his love. Believe in the death and resurrection of Jesus. Repent of your sins and you will become part of the heavenly bride of Christ forever. If you're processing this message and you're a believer, you're a Christian, but you're a child or you're a single adult, you're not married, please embrace and celebrate God's wisdom for spirit-controlled wives. You say, how do I do that? Well, first, you don't date unbelievers. You don't settle in your romantic pursuits for some worldly substitute that's contrary to God's gospel-centered design. You see the beauty of a husband that loves and a wife that submits all by the power of God's spirit that helps that marriage overcome our sinful tendencies to control and compete with one another. If you're a Christian husband, oh, embrace and celebrate God's wisdom for spirit-controlled wives. Husbands, repent of any thinking or any behavior that has demanded your wife's agreement or sought to somehow get your way over hers. That is not biblical submission. That is sinful manipulation. And you need to repent of that. Some of us husbands here in this room, we grew up with very strong patriarchal traditions. God calls us to walk by the Spirit, not walk by our traditions. So husbands, focus always more on loving your wife than trying to lead her. If you're a Christian wife listening today, embrace and celebrate God's wisdom by first. What's the first thing I would encourage a godly wife to do today from this message? You want to take a guess? Focus more on your relationship with God and your spirit and his spirit than you ever focus on your relationship with your husband. 
After all, this text is super clear that biblical submission is a joyful fruit of God's spirit. So your posture towards your husband should be driven first by your worship and love for God and your respect and your honor of his God-appointed position that your husband now occupies, regardless of his person, regardless of his performance. And if you have allowed, dear wife, if you have allowed your past experiences or our present culture to define what submission is or is not, make sure you're renewing your mind again with these life-giving truths of Scripture. God's design is so wise and it's so beautiful. So wives, repent of any way of thinking or any behavior of yours that has sought to emasculate your husband or undermine his God-given authority in your life or your home. Ask God to show you practical ways that you might be able to encourage your husband to become more like Jesus this week as you work to hupotasso underneath him for the glory of God. Finally, for those Christians who are listening to this, who used to be married, but you're not married anymore because of death or because of divorce, I want to encourage you too to embrace and celebrate God's wisdom for spirit-controlled wives. Some of you have good memories of your past marriage. And I would ask you to allow those sweet memories to increase your longing and your desire for the eternal reality of a perfect marriage with a perfect, sinless husband whose name is Jesus. And where you may have bitter memories or anger or resentment from your past marriage, Oh, may I encourage you gently to guard your soul against the cynicism of unbelief. Christians must never allow our past sin to blind us from being able to see the glories and the beauty of God's good design for spirit-controlled wives and spirit-controlled husbands. After all, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, and submission. For there's no greater satisfaction for the human soul than being controlled and filled with God himself. So let's pray. So Father, please help us. Please, Father, help us. Help us to be surrendered first to your control and to your good character that we would not live according to our own ways, but that we would live according to the ways of Christ, our Savior and our King. Oh God, help us to see clearly the beauty of your good design for husbands to truly love and for wives to truly submit and, and therefore fulfill their roles that you've appointed. Father, forgive us for our competing and for our controlling. Please, Forgive us, cleanse us. I pray that this afternoon there would be confession and repentance and prayer for couples in this church. I pray, Father, that your spirit would set marriages free from sin's oppression and sin's destruction and that you'd purify our hearts with greater joy and greater submission to you. Oh God, please, 
glorify your name. Through our repentance and through our purification, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the things that Pastor Kevin brought up that helps us submit to the authorities he's put in our lives is focusing on Christ. Because Christ submitted himself willingly to the Father to the point of death on a cross. He is our example, and he is the chief one whom we submit to, but we should always look to him. But if Christ was willing to submit to such a low degree and be humbled, how much more should we be? So would you please stand as we marvel at what it meant for Christ to do that
Isn't that amazing? God loves sinners like us and he transforms us into saints all by his amazing grace. It's absolutely amazing. Oh, I pray that you would come to know his love in a deeper, deeper way, that his Holy Spirit would pour God's love into your heart this week so that we'd better be able to reflect that love in our relationships with others. Well, husbands, the next paragraph in Ephesians is coming for you, but we got to wait two weeks because next Sunday, we're going to take a break from our Ephesians study, and we're going to focus on the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church. So next Sunday, I'm going to preach a special message on persecution. We're going to have communion together. And then during our 930 hour, the whole church is going to come together for a guided time of prayer so that we can spend an hour together as a church praying for our brothers and our sisters who are persecuted around the world for the, glo- for the sake of Christ. So next week will be a very, very special time of worship. Make sure and come for that. And husbands, just know I haven't forgot about you. We're coming back in two weeks to talk about spirit-filled husbands then. So let's go, uh, as we go out into our week of worship and witness for Christ, let's pray our benediction together as we depart. Let's start by saying the address, and then we'll say out loud this prayer to, to go. Ephesians 3, 20 to 21. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever, and all those who believe that Christ is able to do far more abundantly than all you ask or think in your marriage would say, amen. Amen. You are dismissed.